Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR, talent, and leadership communities to you. For more episodes and the latest articles covering what's new in the world of work, visit hrgazette.com, subscribe and follow us on social media. Many recruiters are looking for refreshing ways to find new talent. In technology, a field that requires candidates of such particular and refined expertise, the challenge is even more nuanced. Hello, this is Bill Bannum. I'm the host of this episode of the HR Chat Show. And my guest today is the fabulous, wonderful, very warm Lauren Waters, Talent Experience Manager, Americas at Zero, an accounting software that provides tools for small businesses, accountants, and bookkeepers. Lauren understands the process of trying to land a job in the tech industry and has firsthand experience of what sticks and what doesn't. And we're going to get her insights and tips today. Lauren, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the show today. Well, thanks for having me, Bill. Equal parts excited and nervous. (laughs) Uh, so listeners Lauren shared with me before we got going this is her first time doing a podcast so I did say I'd go easy on her so I guess I better stick to that I should also mention that um, I've had the privilege of meeting Lauren in person before because she is a TO resident or hangs out in TO Toronto for those of you who are not familiar uh, on on a regular basis so uh, her and I have actually had had a chance to meet in person before which I didn't realize until she popped me a message yesterday to say hey Bill I'm looking forward to catching up so um, it's nice to catch up with you Lauren yeah, I'm great to catch up with you as well. Looking forward to spending the time. Before we get into the the what and the why and the how of zero, why don't you start by just introducing yourself, telling our listeners a wee bit about your career background and a bit about your job role. Absolutely. Thanks, Bill. Um, I would say like all of my favorite recruiters that I've run into worldwide, I kind of fell into the recruitment world. It wasn't a space that I was ever expecting that I would be working. Uh, I actually graduated expecting to work in environmental communications. Tried that for a year and realized I needed to be on the phone with people day in and day out and working with hiring managers to be happy. I actually got my start in recruitment in the UK, working in a nonprofit space, doing a lot of volume recruitment before hopping back over to the Toronto market. So I've really had the joy of being able to see what recruitment looks like in different markets and having to adjust my own career. I spent some time with Lucy Norman, absolutely wonderful uh, HR leader at Infotech. Um, And then moved over to HubDoc, which was acquired by Xero in 2018. Um, And I've actually just stepped up to manage a team of around eight (laughs) in the last year, recruiting across Canada and the US uh, for Xero, which has been quite an adventure. Um, I did my due diligence. I'm quite uh, the keener when it comes to school. And so um, I actually went back and did an HR certification at Ryerson at the Ted Rogers School over the course of the last three years while working at the same time, just because I wanted to have that rounder picture of what it looks like um, on that side of the office as well. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Okay. What about Zero? Why don't you take a minute or two now and tell our listeners all about the company and and how it helps uh, small businesses, accountants, bookkeepers, and others? For me, I mean, I often talk to candidates about zero. I mean, on a day-to-day basis. And for me, I really think of it as one of the best kept secrets in the North Americas at the moment. Um, First of all, just a a gorgeous software, beautiful, easy to use, really focused on our two main customers, which are the small businesses that we work with and then also their advisors. Um, We built the software in the cloud initially and and rolled it out. So there was no retrofitting um, from a desktop software or so forth. And really it's, it's evolved quite a lot, taking on a life of its own since uh, it kicked off. And um, 
really, again, we come to, to the office each day helping those small businesses to succeed, which for me, just, I don't know, it, 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 it's nice to have something that's values driven and um, mission driven to get me up in the morning. Um, we actually started out in New Zealand in, in uh, 2006 before hopping over to Australia and then the UK um, and then landing in North America and Canada um, before jumping to other offices. So quite a big growth story. When I joined in um, in three and a half years back, we were around 1,300 employees and today we're over 4,000. So you can imagine that keeps me and my team very, very, very busy. Um, again, really fast growing software and just a super exciting, I think, interesting area to be in. Um, not a lot of people wake up and think that accounting is an exciting space to be, but I'd really challenge um, them to start learning about cloud accounting because I think it's going to change the industry quite a bit in the next kind of three to five, especially in the North, North America space. Let's talk a little bit about the gig economy, if you don't mind, and the growth of the gig economy, because, you know, before the pandemic, the, the gig economy was exploding. Uh, lots of people were cho choosing to to go it alone and and uh, you know, be freelancers or start their own small teams and whatnot. But then the, the the pandemic itself gave people a new impetus to do that. Either they're being laid off, or um, as, as we know, with the key factors contributing to the great reset, great resignation, people have reassessed what they want to be doing with their lives, and therefore, again, uh, they've, they've often, in many cases, gone it alone and started their own businesses and so on and so forth. What, what does that mean, the, the growth of the gig economy? What does that mean for, for more need for accounting software such as Xero for, for startups over the last couple of years? Talk to me about how that's impacted your business and, and accelerated your growth. I would say in the gig economy space, as people take on their passion projects or the businesses that they've always wanted to start, I mean, we know small to medium business owners don't go into business because they're excited about accounting and bookkeeping. They go into it because they're super passionate about the projects that they're working on. And the accounting and bookkeeping is just something that has to happen in order to make those um, spaces function. So um, for us in our business, I mean, it's it's really, um, there's a niche space that Zero plays in creating software that's really friendly to be able to be used by people who aren't you know, hyper passionate about the accountants uh, and, and the bookkeeping piece of the world. And for them, you know, having access to really accurate real-time cash flow, making sure that they can make decisions to grow faster and smarter is extremely important, especially in the kind of volatile business world that we've been living in in the, in the past. We've seen <laughs> quite a lot of growth from that perspective. Um, internally, we kind of talk about saying that the pandemic has kind of advanced where we've been thinking of in the cloud in our market, um, that really 2020 has become 2025. It's really scooted along um, people's perceptions of how they can use cloud and the different technologies and tools that can facilitate their business growth and um, and their passion and the things that they want to invest their time in. So um, for us, we saw just a great opportunity for small business to get online and start doing everything to streamline their operations and improve how they manage their books, embrace that digitization side. And again, of course, working in the cloud has that benefit of being able to collaborate with, you know, accountant or a bookkeeper or someone else within your business without having to be face to face, which in today's uh, gig economy, I think is extremely important, both with the globalization of businesses, but also with the current needs of being able to work a little bit more hybrid or remote where possible. Now I'd love to get your take on what are some of the 
unique challenges faced by TA professionals in the context of attempting to hire folks into into tech companies. You know, so maybe, maybe any department, any any role within tech companies. And, and I'm guessing that usually that's quite an attractive proposition because people want to work for tech companies. I would guess, you know, I think tech companies are cool. Um, but also specifically, what are the challenges when trying to fill tech positions, you know, front-end and back-end developers, for example? You know, it's overall quite a noisy market, I think, across the board, whether you're in tech or any other industry at the moment. I'm speaking to global colleagues of mine in New Zealand, Australia, the UK, coming up against different talent shortages across the board. I think it's, I think it's competitive wherever you're recruiting and whichever HR team you're a part of at the moment. But in tech, I think there's a lot of energy and attention brought into moving talent through those pipelines. And as a result, I would just say it's quite a noisy market at the moment. It's how do you stand out as a candidate and build trust to move across those pipelines quickly? Um, at the same time, as juggling quite a number of different opportunities on the fly. And then as the recruiter, it's how do you cut through the market to speak to that top talent? Um, there's quite a lot of competition for candidates. We might see, you know, really intensely fast funnels in the way that we haven't in the past. Um, for example, we might interview a developer on Monday who's got three other interviews lined up. We might take them through three interview stages by the end of the week, and they're comparing four or five offers at the end of the week. Um, so again, just, just moving quite fast. For me in the talent space and for my team, one of the things that we think about is how can we work with hiring managers and help them to see the value of experience in a non-tech space? Because in, in such a competitive market, one, I don't think you can fill all of your roles reaching directly into other tech companies and bringing them in. But we also want to be mindful that tech can be quite insular at times. So how can we help hiring managers understand where there's transferable skills for someone who's working, you know, in a non-traditional industry who's looking to take that step into tech? Um, one of my very favorite SaaS salespeople within our team is Jordan Headley. And he came to us um, selling chocolate to um, grocery stores as, as part of a supply chain. And again, felt like a big risk at the time, but came up to speed within three months into his role and was promoted within um, nine months into his role into, into the next role above. And so how do we help hiring managers understand that it's worth the time to invest in someone coming up the language or the um, nuances of working in tech? Um, that that success can exist for them there. And I think in such a competitive market, we're, we're kind of uniquely positioned to have hiring managers have ears open for that type of advice, which is great to see. I've noticed, again, across the board, uh, we see quite a, a, a number of unique things in the tech space that I don't see in other areas um, of recruitment at the moment. So quite a, a lot of counter offering going on within at least the Toronto market at the moment. Once candidates accept their offers, companies trying to retain their current talent and um, offering promotions or moves or, or counter offers. That's, that's something that's been uniquely coming up in the last little bit. And I think candidates just need to be really smart about how they invest their time right now in the tech space because it is so noisy. Really narrowing down, sending less applications in, but for the organizations that they're most interested in, um, sending those applications right away as they see those things come up. Because again, the role might be closed within a week of posting just based on the speed that we need to work.
Excellent. Thank you very much. And by the way, listeners, according to bls.gov, check out its cool website, employment of software developers, quality assurance analysts and testers is projected to grow 22% between 2020 and 2030, much faster than the average for all occupations. About, about I think it's 190,000 openings for software developers, quality assurance analysts and testers are projected every year on average over this decade wow wowzer what a time to be a, a a developer of any kind okay so i know that today you were quite keen to talk about some of the the key attributes of successful tech candidates lauren uh, let, let's start by talking a bit about how to be more authentic in an interview situation it, it may be difficult to realize in the moment of an interview but it, it's important to, to remind yourself that, that an interview is indeed a conversation a, a human to human interaction why then is, is it vital do you think for, for a candidate to be truthful during the hiring process and what can happen if a candidate misleads a hiring manager or ta professional yeah that's a really good call out harken back to when i was first doing my first interviews coming out of um university and i really thought that the interview process was one where interviewers were asking for me to confirm certain information and and show that i could align to what the company um, was going for. And so I was a little bit of a yes person um, in my interviews. Hey, are you a good team player? Absolutely. Hey, um, could you project manage? Sure. Why not? I mean, have, have I actually project managed? No, but let's give it a go. Um, to the point where I think in my one of my very first interviews, I claimed that I could help uh, a website um, build for an organization when I did not know how to code and was well, well out of my depth. And so reflecting on those personal experiences, but also having seen kind of thousands of candidates work through their interview funnels. Ultimately, I see the interview process now and the interview as a trust building exercise. You're starting your relationship with the person who is going to be your manager and the people who are going to be your team. Um, and you owe it to yourself, but also to your incoming team to start it off on the right foot. So the more that you're putting up walls or putting up barriers, the less that you're letting them get to know the actual you, um, the more challenging it's going to be if you're successful and actually step into the role. So again, set that relationship up on the right foot, create that seamless path for your own success internally by setting the expectations. Um, managers should really know how to best support you coming in to a new role. So be honest about the areas that you need support on, the things that you want to be able to learn from them. Um, and then, you know, at the end of the day, I think a lot of candidates are afraid to share those areas of weakness or the areas that they'll need support because ultimately they're worried that the company won't choose them back. I think it's better to find out that your manager isn't interested in helping you to develop a particular skill or doesn't have the time to coach you and get you to that next level if it's really something that you need. Um, I think it's better to not get that job and to find the manager and the team who is going to invest in you and be able to work with that particular area of weakness. Um, of course, you know, you might want to phrase it <laughs> in a softer way. You might not want to say, for example, if you, um, let's say you're the type of person who sleeps into 11 a.m. every morning, you might not want to come into an interview and say, I, I hate morning meetings and often sleep through them. 
you might want to phrase that a little bit more um, softly and say, for example, you know, I do my best work in the afternoons and evenings, and I prefer to align my schedule to that. Yes, there's ways to play the game from that perspective, but you still want the information that you're passing across to be true and accurate and reflect the way um, that you're going to be interacting with the team in the future. Bill, before we hop to the next question, I just had one more thought to add on that, um, which is probably the biggest mistake I see in the authenticity space for candidates in particular, which is really trying to serve up answers specifically for that question of what are your greatest weaknesses or you know what challenges you have, where do you want to grow? I would say that's the area that candidates fall into that trap of, of lying or um, of trying to paint a picture um, you know, that suggests that they have no weaknesses. Actually, as interviewers and teammates, we're looking for someone who's really human, someone who's going to relax into a relationship with us, someone who's going to be honest with us when we ask. And so for us, it doesn't really matter what your, you know, your core weakness as you see it is. For us, it's more about that ability to be vulnerable and to be able to speak and, you know, show some self-awareness of where you have to grow as well. I love that. And would, do you think, Lauren, that approach has perhaps been amplified as a result of what we all went through over the last couple of years with the pandemic? I, I do, personally. I, I think we've all become a lot more empathetic, a lot more understanding, a lot more keen to understand where other people are coming from in terms of you know, their, their mental well-being, for example. Would, would you agree with that? Absolutely. And I think candidates can use it as a litmus test for themselves as well. Like, Speak about the things that are important to you in that space. We know from working <laughs> through this pandemic that we want to work with teams, or at least most of us want to work with teams that give us that grace that um, can relax into those spaces with us. And so also a good kind of litmus test for the candidate back um, towards the hiring team as well. Is this a team that's going to adapt to me, that's going to show up in a positive way when my kids run around in the background or my cats have a fight on the cat tree mid-call? Um, definitely worth sussing out for a candidate. But I do agree. I think there has been a big shift in the way that that's showed up for people in the working world. And I, I think it's created a lot of psychological safety. I think it's all in all quite a positive thing that's come out of the pandemic. Me too. Me too. If we can all just be a little bit nicer to each other, that's got to be a good thing. I'd like to chat to you a little bit now about mastering the art of phone impressions, if you don't mind. So your, your team stresses the importance of bringing one's energy and enthusiasm when interviewing or, or networking over the phone, as the interviewer, Lauren, it, it's it's not that the, the interviewer is not maybe able to see a candidate's body language over the phone, of course, um, and therefore it's vital to approach the call with with vigor within reason. It's also important to to balance between being excited and and not seeming desperate from the from the candidate's side. Can can you sort of give us some tips about the 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 art? Of, of offering a good impression as a candidate, but also, of course, as a hiring manager or TA professional? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say, I mean, again, thinking of your voice as your tool to communicate your interest level, your passion, um, it's important to think how we show up um, with our voices on our phone screens, because as you said, like it's, it's the only route that we have to make that connection. I can't count the number of phone screens that I've walked out of wishing the candidate had found a space that they were more comfortable to interview in. Um, you know, if they're whispering in a closet at the office or they're standing on the street 
outside, glancing over their shoulder, hoping that their uh, manager or team member doesn't walk out of the office. Obviously, that doesn't relax them, put them in a space where they're able to really focus in on delivering their best answers, but also, you know, relax into the conversation and actually let us get to know them as a person. You're right. There is a very delicate balance as you go into those phone screens. You want to communicate that energy and excitement, but you also don't want to bulldoze the conversation. I think the key there to focus on is active listening, making sure you're not speaking over the person who's interviewing you, making sure that you're actually listening to the questions that are being asked to you and responding to them appropriately. Of course, do your prep before you go into any phone screen. Come with some bullet points, some ideas that you might want to highlight in terms of your skills or experience. Um, but some of the worst calls with candidates are when they clearly have a list of accomplishments or pieces, bullet points that they want to get to. And you can feel them kind of reading off their sheet. And regardless of what you ask them, they're trying to pull you back to that talk track that they've prepared. So again, really, really actively listen, engage in an actual conversation. Find yourself a space that you can um, relax into. Um, if you need a little bit of an endorphin rush before the call, think about what sets you up and lights you up. You know, read some positive feedback that you've got from a manager in the past or a customer in the past. Um, spend time with a puppy or uh, a family member, a friend, um, watching a video online that helps you relax and be your best self coming into the conversation. Because people can't see you on the call, um, you also can engage in some behaviors over the phone um, that I actually learned from some of the sales team that I have worked with in the past. Um, because your customer can't see you or your recruiter can't see you, you can actually make sure you stand up on the phone call, which actually will kind of lift your energy naturally. Um, give you the opportunity to be able to walk around or pace or channel some of that ner nervous energy that you might have. You can make sure that you're smiling, even though it might not feel like the appropriate time to smile on the call. Um, the interviewer and um, the person listening on the other side of the line can actually hear that smile in your voice and that positivity in your voice. So again, um, can help you to make sure that you are bringing that right kind of energy into, into the call. And then also think about your tone and voice, how you balance um, your answers, you know, bringing different uh, energy levels, pauses to your answers so that you're almost in an essence kind of telling a story to the recruiter as you're connecting with them on the call, as opposed to delivering out a kind of flat or more monotone, energy less um, type answer can really help you to stand out and build a connection when just using your voice. Okay, uh, two quick follow-ups on that. Firstly, how much does that really matter when you're hiring developers? I mean, let's be honest, developers are not hired to interact with customers in most instances. That developers are there to, you know, create the software. Um, so they're going to be, uh, they're going to be uh, either autonomous or they'll be working with their own teams. So if they've got a monotone voice, if they're not able to offer the right inflections, if they're not super charismatic, does it really matter? That's my first question. Um, and my other follow-up question here is, how how do the, those nuances that you're speaking about a moment ago, how do they change when video interviewing is introduced to, to the hiring process? You just offered some fantastic tips around audio um but what, what if what if you, you are sitting on a zoom meeting for example um what what things what does one need to change in in their 
in the interview technique uh, as a candidate let's just focus on the candidate um when, yeah. when the video when the video is on too yeah that makes sense to me and i think that's a great challenge on the developer piece um it's one i think about a lot obviously the um, oral communication skills and customer facing sheen that you might look for in other candidates isn't as important for developer roles but the more time that i spend with developers and hiring into tech specific roles the more I realize that communication is still very vital to success within their role. And teamwork is a huge component of being a successful developer, especially when working in a kind of agile sprint fashion. And so, um, no, do you need to nail the same intonation that you might if you were a salesperson or a success person, a customer support person? No, you don't need to have that same level of communication, but do you need to still show energy, enthusiasm, you know, a general willingness to to join the team and to work with other team members and how you might communicate with them. I, I'd still say yes, that it that it is important to convey that. Again, doesn't need to be that same level of professional communication, but similar things that we're looking for, but more internally focused, I think is is definitely important. I'd also <laughs> um, controversially mention that, you know, you're making your, an impression on your recruiter as well, and they're going to be advocating for you internally to the business. And so it's in your best interest in a candidate coming into any role to make a positive impression on your recruiter and build some rapport with your recruiter. Um, and the phone screen is a perfect opportunity to dive into that. To answer the second part of your question, what do you do on a video call? That's one that I struggle with personally. I'm what I've done in the past is uh, record a little bit of a segment, you know, do a practice interview over Zoom with a friend, a family member, record a little bit of um, record a little bit of video, um, and get a gauge watching back on what's showing up positively in your body language, in your eye contact, spaces that you could improve. I think it's definitely an art video. Um, a video interviewing. Lots of organizations are putting out how-to videos that you can follow through YouTube or um, Zero sends out tips and tricks before going into any virtual interview so someone can um, kind of prep and, and set themselves up for success in that space. For me, I think it's important to um, always be interviewing from either a laptop or a desktop. Um, find a place to kind of sit and plant yourself. Um, and where your body language facing the camera is going to fall quite naturally. Um, it's very challenging to maintain um, professional or comfortable or non-distracting body language when you're taking the call uh, directly from your cell phone. It's hard to be able to manage keeping your eyes at the right level and your arm moving around and so forth. So again, I would always recommend it's on a kind of stationary um, device, ideally a laptop or computer that's in front of you. Once you get really comfortable with your body language, um, some candidates even prefer to turn off the video on their side. So the interviewer is still able to see them, but use the hide video function so that they don't have to stare at themselves during the interview. Because for some people that can make them feel really self-conscious and actually throw off their ability to build really positive rapport or actually be in the moment of that interview. Um, so for me, that's something that I take advantage of all of the time um, because I find that video function and being able to see myself really unnerving. Um, so that could be a solution for someone who's 
struggling to relax into the moment or be able to bring their full self to a, a to a video interview. Awesome. Thank you very much. Okay, Lauren, we are coming towards the end of this particular interview. I'm sad to say before we wrap up for today, how can our listeners connect with you personally, whether that's through LinkedIn, maybe you want to share your email address, maybe all over Twitter, TikTok, Instagram and other places. And also, of course, how can they learn more about all the cool things happening over at Zero? Absolutely. Like any good recruiter, my favorite uh, space for you to reach out to me is on LinkedIn. So you can hop over to my LinkedIn page, any other members of the Zero recruitment team, and of course, the wider Zero community. Um, there's 4,000 of us. There's bound to be someone who's working in your space that you're interested in learning more from. And I'd say the Zero team is fantastically friendly. Uh, so do please pop anyone within the team a message, and I'm sure they'll come back to you and be happy to have a coffee chat. Um, the other space that you can learn more about Zero would be zero.com. And of course, uh, I would be a very poor recruiter not to um, not to pop you over to zero.com slash careers um, to check out the piles and piles and piles of roles that we're recruiting on. The team's going to continue to grow at pace and I'm really excited to see what that's going to look like this year. Awesome. Well, that just leaves me to say for today, Lauren Waters, it's been a pleasure catching up with you and getting to know you better on, on this HR chat episode. Thank you very much for being my guest today. Thanks so much for having me, Bill. It's been a blast. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Chat Podcast. There are hundreds of conversations with business experts available for free on the HR Gazette website, Apple, Spotify, and all the main platforms. And remember to like, subscribe, and follow us on social media.